It's good to sing about songs regarding God's glory and His grace. This morning we're going to talk about rescues and divine rescue that happened and is happening now and that we can be a part of. And I was kind of mulling over this topic and I, I realized that we love rescues. You know, when there's, when there's someone in a burning building or a, you know, trapped in a river or a coal mine or something, we're, we're glued to that because we understand the importance of that life and we're cheering on the rescuers. And it seems to be kind of ingrained in us. But the fact of the matter is, maybe you haven't been dragged from a burning building, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been rescued. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to be rescued. And the only person that can rescue you is Jesus himself. And so if you have been rescued by Christ, your life can change. You can be transformed. You can live with gratitude. You can live on mission to help others that are still in this web of darkness to be rescued. And if you've rejected Christ or you're not sure you want to get around to being with Jesus, then your life will stay in this web of deceit and darkness and it will have no eternal value and you are destined for destruction. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Understanding the consequences of the divine rescue. Because not only is it temporal, it's eternal. And this is what Paul's going to write about today. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 13. If you want to grab that Bible that's in the seat rack in front of you, you can turn to page 983. You can also use your Ridgewood app which you can download and you can open up and just push media, study guide, and you can land on today's text. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. So this is written, of course, by the Apostle Paul. And he loves this church in Colossae. Colossae was not a major city, but Paul loved this church. He was thankful for what God was doing amongst them. And in this short text this morning, we're going to see that he's thankful for their spiritual rescue, their relocation, and their redemption. And so when we're talking about Christ, we're talking more than just following. We're talking about a massive event that happened in our lives that rescued us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. And so we see that here in this text, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the divine rescue. Transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son through forgiveness and redemption. And so we have to take this seriously, not just because it is an eternal rescue, but because our lives can change in light of it. Now, Paul is transcribing here to Timothy, and he has apostolic authority over this church. Paul's not the planter, he's not the pastor, but he is an apostle, and so he's exercising his authority, and he's encouraging them here. He's encouraging them to live under the preeminence of Christ And to understand who Jesus is. And the reason this book is so thrilling is because it's about who Jesus is. 
and how to live in light of it. And we as a church, as we walk together for Christ, need to live in light of the preeminence of Christ as well. Following Him, loving Him, and living in gratitude for the divine rescue. And so, where we begin this morning is this idea that Paul is writing this letter and he's incredibly enamored with what God is doing. And in fact, Paul is full of gratitude for what was happening in the lives of these Colossians. He's absolutely full of gratitude. He sees them changing. He sees them being transformed. If you just look back with me at verse 12, if you have your Bible open, you'll see with me the gratitude with which Paul writes, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's thankful. The saints in light are those who have been separated from this dark place and have been transferred over to this kingdom of light where they have waiting for them the entire inheritance of Christ. And so Paul is, is looking at their future, but he's also looking at now. He sees their lives changing now. And sometimes we make the mistake when we're talking about Jesus is that we're focused on, yes, I know, now I'm saved, now I'm justified, I have eternal life, which of course is an amazing gift. But people also need to see their lives change now. People are in bondage. People are, are full of concern and cares and grief. And they need Christ now. And so Paul is seeing Jesus work in the lives of these believers in Colossae right before his very eyes. And he's so thankful for that. They had been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. And here's where we start. This is the timeless truth. We understand that believers have been rescued from crushing darkness. That's you and me if we follow Jesus Christ. Now, the words here that Paul chooses shed really great light on this divine rescue, as I call it. The saints of light have been rescued from the domain of darkness. There's that contrast. You can't have a clearer contrast than darkness and light. So Paul's making his point here that this kingdom of darkness is a fearsome place. It's an awful place. It's a horrible place. And those locked in its clutches, it's like an insect locked in a spider web. There is no escape. There is no escape. But for the divine rescue. But for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you look at the text, the he in verse 13, he who has delivered us from the domain of darkness is the Father God. And the Greek here for delivered is rumai, which means to draw oneself or to rescue. But it carries a stronger meaning than the word delivered. It goes to the evil state of the one that needs rescue. It goes to the inerrant sin, the hardness of heart. And then it talks, it denotes the power of the rescuer. And the conflict that is happening all around this rescue. This rescue is full of conflict. Prying somebody out of the jaws of this darkness takes the power of God. 
not the good works of men. In other words, you can't just decide I'm going to work my way out of this kingdom of darkness. It has to be a rescue. And Satan doesn't want this to take place at all. And Paul understands this, and he wrote about it in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so this place is real. And it's operational. And it's happening. And it's not our imagination. It's not fake. It's not dreams. It's a real place. It's a kingdom of darkness. And the one who rules this kingdom is Satan himself. It's inhabited by evil authorities. It's inhabited by fallen angels, which are now demons that seek to kill and destroy. There is nothing good about this kingdom. It is dark. It is loathsome. It is awful. And there are people who are trapped in this kingdom while we're playing church and we're arguing about music and what we're wearing. People are dying in this place. And there's no hope for them but for Jesus. Maybe that's why Jesus' last words were, go to all the world. Make them disciples. Because Jesus knew all too well that this place was real and that he would conquer it. And so, you and I, if we're followers of Christ, can live lives of gratitude because we were in this place. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, and the wages of sin is death. So where does this lead? It leads to lives of destruction. It leads to eternal destruction. So we need to be all about the divine rescue. Jesus understood this place as well. In Matthew 8, verse 12, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is about the existence of hell. This is about the end game that Satan is trying to drag people into. This is culture. And so when you, when you talk about gnashing of teeth, we're, we're talking about physical pain. When we're talking about the, the idea of, of agony and weeping, it's all real. It's all happening. People are there. And we have the tool. We have the gift. We have the truth to help rescue them from this kingdom of darkness. So let me just say that Satan's game is to destroy you. And he'll do anything he can to destroy you, and he'll do anything he can to destroy anyone. And he's not afraid to use all of his assets to do that. And so if you're going to try to play the game and be in between these two kingdoms, I want to let you know there is no in between. Jesus made it very clear, you're either with me or you're not with me. You're either in or you're out. And as a pastor, I, I get so discouraged and, and, 
and, and so downcast when people walk away from God or walk away from the church because they're walking into this kingdom of darkness. And it's a fearsome place to be. And this idea of conflict is real. It's a wrestling match that's happening with Satan. It's, it's, it's going on all around us. In Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In Romans 13, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Conflict. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of our salvation. This kingdom is real. It's horrible. And we need to protect ourselves. We need to pray. We need to be in community. We need to be in the Word. But we can also take joy in the fact that Jesus said in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Or John said that. So either you're a subject in God's kingdom or you're a subject in Satan's kingdom. And if you have been saved, if you are rescued, then you need to live life differently than you did before. And you should because you're being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And part of that living differently is living a life of gratitude which Paul was expressing here. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, listen carefully, perk up, because we're talking about your eternal future. So Paul was thankful for this divine rescue. He saw it changing the Colossae. But not only is there the rescue, but there's the relocation aspect. And and here's where we see this transference. Believers have been relocated to the kingdom of Christ. We've been actually relocated. We've been moved. We've been in the divine U-Haul. And we've been brought to a new place. This rescue from one kingdom and transfer to another is, again in verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Believers are, as one commentator put it, bought from a rebel kingdom and transferred to the place of their own sovereign king. We've been purchased from a rebel kingdom, and now we reside in the kingdom where we belong. That is the divine rescue. And the Greek transfer here means to remove or change and it's used to refer to change. It's, it's used in Acts 13.22 to refer to the removal of Saul as king. In the Old Testament, it was often used for a nation that was displaced, transferred, moved from the domain of darkness to his glorious light. And this is a strong verb. It's immediate It's not a process, so you don't have to go through catechism classes. And you don't have to beat yourself up. When you come to faith in Christ, you are immediately moved from that kingdom to this kingdom through the grace of God and the power of the blood of Christ. And yet we whine and complain about everything. 
We've lost sight of this fact. We've lost sight of what it's like to be in that kingdom because some of us came to faith so early in life that we don't even know what it's like to live in that kingdom. And praise God for that. But then we need to start tuning in because the Bible tells us enough about what it's like to live in that kingdom. And if we're around non-believers at all, they'll tell us what it's like to live in that kingdom. And I know what it's like to live in that kingdom. And it's dark and it's hopeless and you're trapped and you're, you see no way out until Jesus touches you. And then all of a sudden you're in a new kingdom and a new way of life. did a funeral yesterday for Dwayne Wayman. He was baptized here on the last day of December. Some of you might remember that. We worried all day long. How are we going to get Dwayne in the water? He was so sick. And we needed to hurry up and do it because we knew he was sick. And I had seen him just a few weeks before at his wife's funeral, and he was sitting over here in a wheelchair, and he looked so downcast and so ill and so sad, but he heard something at that funeral that caught his interest. And then a couple of people from church circled back on him and led him to Christ, and then he was baptized. And so yesterday, or Thursday, or Friday, whenever it was, we were able to say, you know what? Dwayne was once in the kingdom of darkness, and now he is with Jesus in the kingdom of light because of what Christ did in his life. This is amazing stuff. But what about this kingdom? What is it like that we're being transferred to? Because it's hard for us to imagine this because we see only what's around us. We see this world, and this world is troubling But if you look at verse 13 again, it's the kingdom of his beloved son. And so Paul is saying that when we're transferred, we have all of the the gifts and, and the rights of a child. We have inheritance. We will be with Christ during the millennial reign. But, but Paul is also concerned about the now in these people's lives. And he's saying, the kingdom has come. And you're going to live literally in the Greek, in the kingdom of the son of his love. Beautiful. That's happening now. The kingdom is a very much of an, an already but not yet proposition. Jesus is reigning, but there's so much more to come. And that's pretty exciting stuff. Dr. Russell Moore is a spokesperson for the Southern Baptist Conference on Ethics and Religious Liberty. And he wrote this about this transference and about where we live and about the kingdom of Christ. And here's what Russell Moore says. If the kingdom is what Jesus says it is, then that means what matters isn't just what we neatly classify as spiritual. The natural world around us isn't just a temporary environment. It's part of our future inheritance in Christ. The underemployed hotel maids we walk past silently in the hallway aren't just potential objects of our charity. They are potential queens of the cosmos. Our jobs, whatever they might be, aren't accidental. The things we do to serve in our local churches aren't random. God is designing our lives individually and congregationally as internships for the eschaton. That's the end of time when God finally ends human history. We're learning in little things how to be put in charge of greater things. And so your life isn't random at all. 
And your eternity has already begun. I'm a strong believer in what we, what we invest now in our faith will carry in to our time with Christ. Not really sure how that works, but I'm convinced that we are already in eternity. We have been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. It's the divine rescue. We have a higher purpose. We can live as called people, as sent people. And at Ridgewood Church, we can be a church full of sent people. So if you're in school, then you can study hard. You can honor your teacher. You can live in purity. And then people will start to notice Jesus in you and have an opportunity to be rescued from this web of darkness. If you're at work and you are working alongside your colleagues and you're kind and you're gracious and you're the hardest worker there and you honor your supervisor, even if your supervisor isn't good, then people are going to notice Jesus in you. If you're a retired person and you're just living your life out for Jesus at your club or where you're volunteering or in front of your grandchildren and you don't quit, you don't give up, you run the race hard, people are going to go like, that guy's different, that, that lady's different. And they're going to become intrigued with Jesus Christ. And if you're a stay-at-home mom and you think, wow, there's no chance for me to connect because this is the hardest job ever, which it is, then you have your children right there who are going to watch you and learn Jesus from you. And you're going to connect with other moms and you can just simply be kind and gracious and allow them into your life. And then they're going to see Jesus in you. Sent people. Called people. And I believe that sent people are going to be the people that change the world in the post-Christian era. The, the culture is shifting around us. We have to change how we do evangelism. We have to change how we do church. It has to be relational. We have to, we have to just live out our faith in front of non-believers. And then be ready when it comes time to give an answer. If we don't do it, who else is going to do it? And I'm convinced that this whole idea of this kingdom of darkness it doesn't really strike home to us, because if it did, I mean, would we, would we walk by a river and watch somebody just float away without trying to rescue them? If somebody cried from a burning building, wouldn't we do something? So uh, the, only, the, only thing that I, the, only, the only truth that I can come to when I think of the apathy of, of the Christian world today is that we don't believe this is real. Because if we did, we'd do something about it. And so I'm telling you, this isn't Paul talking, this is Scripture. So if you believe this, this kingdom is real because we've been transferred out of it. So the life of gratitude that Paul is living is because he sees this being worked out in the Colossians. And he's excited about that and he sees this rescue and this transfer. But even more so, he's excited because of the redemption that comes with that. Believers are redeemed by Christ. And, and if you look at the language here in verse 14, it is Jesus, God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this is such an amazing theological truth, and it complements verse 13, where in 13 it's God's sovereign power, it's that wrestling match that pulls us out of that web. Here, it's legal ransom. It's being purchased out of that. It's a payment being made to extract us from that. It's like 
emancipation, the Emancipation Proclamation that was signed in 1863 that was finally freed the slaves. People in this kingdom are slaves. And, and the, the ransom that was paid by Jesus Christ is the, is the payment to extract us from this terrible kingdom. And then Paul goes quickly to the idea of forgiveness because true rescue could not be accomplished without absolute and total forgiveness of sin. It's like a pardon that you get from the governor right before you're executed. It is a composite of two Greek words. Apo is from, Hiem is to send. The outworking of Christ's work of redemption, then, is to send our sins as far away as the east is from the west. And that's what Psalm 103.12 tells us. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So part of being rescued means you don't have to live in the past anymore. You don't have to be carrying your sins around with you. There's nothing noble about living in shame. There's nothing spiritual about dragging your victim mentality sins around with you. It doesn't make you any, any better in God's eyes. In fact, it just bogs you down. So let it go. I mean, most of us have a past. We look back on it and we go, oh my goodness sakes. Oh my goodness. I had a youth leader. And this wasn't really bad stuff, but I was a pain. You know, I was just a nuisance. I just did stupid stuff all the time, which I guess continues on to today, if you know me. But I remember specifically one day, um, we thought it was really funny. We were going to do this youth, you know, we used to have youth choirs back in the day. We all wear the same outfits. Kind of cool. Not really. And I remember thinking it was really cool to throw a snowball at him, so... So it hits him right in the side of the face. So the whole concert, he's kind of wiping his face. He's got tears in his eyes. And it's like got a big welt growing in his head. So on, on, on Thursday, Neil, Neil and I decided to take a trip to, to Litchfield, Minnesota. And we're, we're talking to this church up in Litchfield that's doing planting in rural communities. And so we're going we're gonna to talk to him. And this, this guy's name is Paul Jorgensen. He sits down and goes, hey, where are you from? I go, I'm from White Bear Lake. And he goes, White Bear Lake? I go, yeah. And he goes, what church? I go First Baptist, now it's Eagle Brook. Really? Yeah, I, I was your youth leader. <laughs> Any dream of partnership ended at that moment. <laughs> he was incredibly gracious. And he said, I just remember you as being fun, and I'm just glad he's old and doesn't have a memory anymore. But isn't it interesting what we carry around with us? We don't have to. As far as the east is from the west, not only have we been rescued and relocated, but we've been redeemed. And redeemed means free. And so to grasp the work of Christ, we must be transformed by the gospel can't really grasp this unless the gospel is transforming us. We have to believe that Jesus' broken body took these sins to the cross. We have to believe that he rose again to defeat death. We must believe that he is the king who reigns today and that he is the one that he is the one who can save us from ourselves. 
I don't think we understand how thick that web of darkness is. And Paul here is talking about people who had been absolutely transformed by the power of Christ. And so at Ridgewood Church, we can't shine the light of love into our community unless we understand what state they're in. And understand the grace with which we were taken from that kingdom and transferred to God's kingdom of His beloved Son. Because we don't deserve that. And the most effective believers I know are believers that live on grace because they understand how, how deep the sin goes that God is working with them on. And that's the kind of grace then that they can give to non-believers. They're not shocked by non-believers because they know what's in here. So your baggage has been forgiven. So, so here's how it works. You know, Christ, Christ purchased you with his own blood and his own life. But you just need to believe. The Bible says if you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, you'll be saved. And so he's asking you to say, yes, I believe that you did that for me. Yes, I believe that you are the Son of God. Yes, I believe that you died and rose again, and I trust you with my salvation. And then you are in the kingdom of light. Your baggage is forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And sure, you may not have ever been you know, rescued from the top floor of a burning building, but that's nothing in compared to what you've been rescued from. Darkness and destruction. So just take a moment and close your eyes and just meditate on this truth for a minute. And I'm just going to throw some thoughts at you as you're, as you're thinking this through. Maybe in light of this truth you want to make changes. Maybe you, you, you understand now that being in this new kingdom means that you think differently, act differently, and you have a new appreciation for what Christ has given you. So what do you want to give him? Do you want to give Jesus this morning a word of thanks? Do you want to, to give him a deeper commitment to share the gospel? Do you want to repent of carrying your past around with you when in fact you have been forgiven of it? Or maybe for the first time you want to give your life to Jesus and so he can be the Lord of your life and he can rescue you from this pit that drives you to hell called the kingdom of darkness. Just take a moment and think that over and then I'll pray. Jesus, thank you for your gift, your payment, because we have all rebelled against your Father. We are all in the kingdom of darkness, but for the divine rescue. And God, will you please help us not to be complacent? Will you please help us to believe this is real? Will you please help this truth to transform our lives, how we act, how we think, what our priorities are? And as we watch rescues happen, we're so intrigued by them, God, but we don't seem sometimes to lift a finger to rescue a person from eternal destruction in the kingdom of Satan. And so just help us to understand the reality of that. Protect us from it. Help us not to lose our faith, God. 
Protect us by the gospel and your grace. And help us to be on mission to save others. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.